Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Best Friends Forever. No singing today, no Greg Sussman, Frank Sample here. Very serious day on an overreaction Monday. Fantasy best friends forever. A wild, wild week one. I saw a ton of injuries. We had five different wide receivers with 15-plus targets in a game. Something that didn't happen in a single game at all last season. Tyreek Hill, 268 all-purpose yards. Three touchdowns. It was a wild Wild week one. So we'll be reacting to that, obviously. Overreacting. Well, we'll find out if we're overreacting or not. And to do that, not Craig Sussman. He is out celebrating the new year. I have my good buddy, Fantasy Taz, Jim Day. Jim, what's going on, man? Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking some football with you. Did I, did I do a good job of, of describing how wild week one actually was to start the show? It was definitely pretty wild and, you know, very unique in a lot of instances. So uh, it's going to be fun to talk about it and just try and pick it apart. Yeah, so as I mentioned, overreaction Monday, I mean, look, there's a very popular thing to do. The first Monday after week one, we have a lot to dissect. I mean, you might be out of your survivor pools already because the New Orleans Saints got upset by the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, I had the Baltimore Ravens. I think, uh, I believe Greg Sussman did as well. We spoke about that last week. Fantasy Best Friends Forever, we mentioned the Ravens were our survivor picks, and I had them in both of them. I didn't try to differentiate. I didn't go with one Ravens, one New Orleans Saints. I took the Ravens, and I stuck with that. Uh, Jim, did you have any survivor picks this week? I also took the Ravens. I agree. I went with one I thought was just going to be an easy pick in week one and try not to be too fancy about it. There you go, right? It seems so easy, too, right? Because when else are you going to use the Baltimore Ravens? When else are you going to feel that strongly about using the Ravens at home against Nathan Peterman and the Buffalo Bills, and they go out there and they, you know, they just win 47-3. to So an absolutely wild game. We'll get into the good, the bad, and as I mentioned, the Bills, because I don't, I don't even, you can't even put them under the category of bad. They were just, they were historically bad. It was atrocious. I'm sorry, Gabe Morency, if you're still downstairs in the control room. Uh, I'm, I'm crushing the Bills right now, but rightfully so. I think they deserve it. 47-3. I mean, what more can you say about that? Before we get into some of the, the, the overreactions, the good stuff that happened, the bad stuff that happened, Jim, just going to go around and, and discuss some of the injury-related news that we have as of right now. Um, start off with Doug Baldwin, right? Diagnosed with a right MCL sprain. And, you know, some people might try and take this as a good thing. I, I don't know how we necessarily frame it as a good thing, but the only good part of this is that it's not the same knee that he was dealing with in the preseason. He was dealing with his left knee, but... Now, the bad news is that he now has two bum knees, and it's only week one. I, like, I, 
I have a feeling that this is just going to end up being a wash season for Doug Baldwin, which is crazy to say, and that's why we're here. Is it an overreaction on Monday? But, like, expect from him with two bum knees, a guy that didn't record a single reception in week one against the Broncos. Yes, it was a pretty tough matchup going up against Chris Harris in that secondary. You know, people still, uh, they want to devalue the the Broncos' defense a little bit because they lost a keep to lead. But as a Doug Baldwin owner in multiple leagues, I am very, very worried about this in week one, Jim Day. No, you have to be. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, an MCL sprain is always tough. Uh, probably not looking good for him in week two. He could actually miss up to three to four weeks with this sprain, depending on what grade it is. But, uh, you know, as somebody who has a very bad knee, a lot of times what happens with one bad knee is that you tend to favor the other one and eventually you end up putting too much strain on the other one. So makes that a little weaker as well. This, you know, this is definitely something to be concerned with with Baldwin. There's no doubt about it. Uh, hopefully it's just a low-grade injury. Maybe he comes back in two weeks. I definitely don't think we see him in week two, uh, but hopefully we can see him in week three going forward. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly true. And it was, you know, Doug Baldwin was like a roller coaster in the preseason, uh, Jim, because early on in the draft season, late July, early August, I was trying to get plenty of shares of Doug Baldwin. I was very interested in him because – all the targets that were left behind with no Jimmy Graham leaving behind about 100 targets, Paul Richardson about 80 targets. So that's 180 targets between two players that were gone. And then Jimmy Graham, we know what he did in the red zone last year in terms of demanding targets in that area of the field. So I was very excited about Doug Baldwin. Then we got the knee injury early on in camp. Then he said, oh, I'm going to be 100%. I'm good for week one. And then towards the end of training camp, it comes out that he's only 75, 80%. So this is an absolute roller coaster ride with Doug Baldwin. It's crazy. Um, I drafted him in a few leagues. Look, whatever I tell people to do, I actually do myself. And I have a feeling that you are the same exact way. I told people that I moved Doug Baldwin back into that 2-3 swing. And right now I'm suffering for it because I drafted him in multiple leagues over Tyreek Hill. Ooh, overhill. Yeah, you're definitely suffering for that. Look, um, you know, again, it's hard to overreact after one week. And one of the things that we'll probably talk about it, you know, you mentioned it earlier, is that we saw a multitude of top top, uh, top wide receivers get, you know, over 15 targets. And the reason for that is easy. I mean, these quarterbacks were looking for the guys they know and trust. They know where they are. They know where they're going to be. And they can feel that they can just use them as needed because they just haven't had any chance to work with the team as a whole uh, against an opponent. So these guys were looking for their number one guys and that consisted. That'll change as the weeks go on and everybody gets starting to meld together as a team. But in week one, that, you know, isn't that big a surprise. Yeah, and I think as a result of this Doug Baldwin news, I think Brandon Marshall is going to be a very, very popular waiver wire target this week uh, in FAB as well as Tyler Lockett if he wasn't drafted in your league because obviously if he can't go, uh, we saw a, a bit of a rapport there with Brandon Marshall as well, targeted multiple times in the red zone. So that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Jim, also the Titans. I, this team looks, it looks like a crapshoot already. It's week one. Uh, I can't tell if I'm overreacting to this, but look, Delaney Walker is pretty much done for the season already. We know that. I, I believe it was a fractured ankle, obviously a gruesome injury for a player of his age, 33, 34 years old. He was dealing with the injury uh, in training camp as well. And then Marcus Mariota leaves with an elbow injury. Uh, Derrick Henry did not look great. The, uh, the running back usage, very, very frustrating already. Um, so what are you making from, this, uh, from the Tennessee Titans? They look like an absolute mess in week one against the Dolphins. 
Yeah, that, it, this offense was definitely all over the place. Uh, let's face it, Mariota, even before he got injured, just didn't look very good, uh, which was surprising after a pretty, pretty decent preseason. But, you know, 9 for 16, only 103 yards, but two interceptions, not a good start for him. Uh, it, you know, it looks like he'll be okay. The, the elbow so far doesn't seem to be too bad. We'll know more after today when they do some more work on, on it and take some, you know, more shots of it and see where we're at. But at this point, you know, without him, it's definitely going to be scary with Blaine Gabbard under center. Uh, you know, Gabbard is definitely not somebody who really puts any kind of fear in opponents. And the good thing that comes out of this is that I think we start to see a lot more Deion Lewis like we did yesterday. Yeah, Deion Lewis dominated the snaps yesterday. And going over to another situation, look, the Tennessee Titans, I'm, I'm worried about them. I'm worried about their offense right now. If you drafted pieces of those running backs, I think you feel good about Deion Lewis. I think that is predicated on game flow. That running back situation. If they're winning games and they're up in a game, I think Derrick Henry is obviously going to be the running back to have that week. But you're not really going to know going into a week, right? Like, we thought that this Tennessee Titans-Miami Dolphins matchup would be pretty close. And it turns out that the Titans ended up trailing for a lot of this game. And because of that, Deion Lewis was the guy to own this week. And I think it's going to be very, very frustrating week in and week out trying to figure out which running back to use. I don't think we're going to know on a weekly basis. Obviously, it it depends on game flow, but we're not going to know that. One more injury I wanted to talk on. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers was a big injury as well. I'm going to wait till we get some, some tests on that. But obviously, he came back in. It looked like he was playing on one leg, but he was still Aaron Rodgers. He went off for 285 yards, three touchdowns. I want to mention Leonard Fournette. And I was not a Leonard Fournette guy coming into the year, Jim. And it didn't have to do with the hamstring. It just had to do with the foot, the ankle. But again, we saw last year that when, once he was dealing with a leg injury, he was not the same player he was pre-injury versus post-injury. He was much more explosive before that foot and ankle injury last year, and now he has this hamstring that he's already dealing with in week one. And again, I, to keep using the word overreact, I don't want to, but this seems to me like something that can linger an entire season, Jim. Well, hamstring injuries are always a problem. You know, hopefully they take it slow with him. Don't try to rush him back. That's usually the problem. When you try and rush a player back from a hamstring injury, it's so prone to being injured again that you run real big risk with that. This is their bell cow guy. This is the guy they want to carry the load. So I I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see him sit at least one week. He said after the game he could have returned to the game. But, you know, again, with a hamstring injury, you have to take it slow. You have to be careful. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do here. What's up, Jim? And yet the Giants still lost. (laughs) And yet they still lost. You are hearing the sweet, sweet sounds of Chris Venture, the analyst. You can listen to him and Fantasy Taz, Jim Day on the Fantasy Football Frenzy. Uh, Venture, I I wish I can apologize for the Giants losing, but it honestly brought a smile to my face. I'm sorry. It did? (laughs) I can understand you hate the Giants because the Jets, you know. Yeah, it's like the little brother syndrome. You know that. Okay, wait, I, I have to throw in two points here. First of all, the one thing I did like was that the Giants' defense played much better in the second half than they did the first half. They started to come together. They did a lot of three mm-hmm. and outs against Jacksonville, which was nice. Again, I will reiterate another point. They need to get rid of Eric Flowers. I don't care who <laughs> they do it. They need to get rid of Eric Flowers. He's got to be the worst tackle in football. I've hated him since they drafted him. They need to get his ass out of but there. But there's an even bigger problem, though. 
more than Eric Flowers, it's Eli Manning. I hate to say it, but it's, it's not, Eli Manning. It's, it's not a problem. His fault. It's not his. A fault, lot of it was we his were, fault yesterday. We were talking about this downstairs. A lot of it stemmed from Eric Flowers, the offensive line. Fun. You were telling me that they need a more mobile quarterback. They do. I mean, the Giants have won Super Bowls without a mobile quarterback with Eli Manning, but it you know, all starts with the offensive line. So I, right. I have to go with Jim on this one. Look, if you improve that offensive line, you're shelling out money to Odell Beckham. You use money on a backup tight end last year in Rhett Ellison rather than going out and spending on your offensive line. Well, Yes, they yeah. added pieces to their offensive line this offseason, but they also lost pieces to that offensive line. So you kind of just mitigated what you lost, mm-hmm. and you still have Eric Flowers on that offensive line. So I'm, kinda, I'm with Jim. Like I don't think this is all Eli Manning's fault. You give the guy it's weapons, not. you got to be able to protect him. It's definitely not... All Eli's fault. Part of it is McAdoo messed up a lot of things here, and Shermer's trying to clean it up. And he did a good job by getting Solder, but we, you know, obviously you can't fix the whole O line in you know one day. But uh, I think the O line's good enough. See, Eli when he won those Super Bowls, he had a great defense or a great defensive line both those years, uh, and we had a great offensive line and great running game. We had two thousand yard rushes that first year when we won the Super Bowl. So. Eli needs compliments to himself. He can't be the star. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He can't carry the team. He needs help. We got Barkley. That was the, that was the key. If, if we could rely on Barkley, Eli will do good if Barkley does well. We have the weapons. The problem is Eli overthrew Odell like three times that, in that game yesterday. He, that pick, he throws so many balls low near the line. Gabe said it earlier on Carton and Friends. All the time, he's guaranteed two deflected balls at the line. All the time. And a lot of times, it ends up being a pick because it gets hit up in the air. And that ruined the game. It was a pick six. The game's over right there. But he also had receptions that were completed down the field to guys like Evan Engram that Mm -hmm. were revoked because of holding penalties by Eric Flowers. Yeah, no, definitely a lot of things that need to be fixed. But let's move on. (laughs) This isn't the New York Giants hour. You came up here with the Yankee hat on. You came up here. I get passionate. You have an agenda. You want to talk about Eli Manning and New York Giants. Save it for the fantasy football frenzy where you can talk to Corey about the NFC East and Dallas. Putrid, putrid Cowboys offense. Corey, I am sorry to say it, but it is not looking good after week one for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I mentioned we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and I want to start with some good here. This is the stat of the day. This is per Nathan Janke at PFF underscore Nate Janke, J-A-H-N-K-E, puts out great, great stats uh, regarding uh, snap counts and snap percentage for running backs. Uh, And he had this to say, Joe Mixon played in over 78% of the Bengals' offensive snaps in week one. That is his highest percentage since being drafted by Cincinnati. So, Jim, I'll go to you first. And I'm just going to make a bold claim here, and you tell me if I'm overreacting or not. Joe Mixon, 17 rushes for 95 yards, a touchdown. Seven targets, five receptions, 54 yards. Gio Bernard, one rush, minus one yard. One target, one reception, 11 yards. Joe Mixon is going to be a top 12 running back this year, Jim. He's, if he continues to get that kind of opportunity and that kind of usage in the passing game, I'm with you, no doubt about it. Uh, he showed, look, we all knew he had the talent. We were worried about him because the offensive line was so terrible last year. They obviously improved it. They looked a lot better in this offensive line yesterday. Mixon is a talent, and if he continues to get this workload and that kind of surrounding play by the offensive line, then sure, I'm with you. I do think at some point Bernard will be a little bit bigger of an a player than he was yesterday, but Mixon is definitely the guy. Yeah, you know when Bernard's going to be the big player? When they play a team that's actually good on defense. Uh, that team's awful, the Colts, on defense. So you can run the ball all day on them. You can do what you want. 
Um, I, I feel like w- if the game script applies, Mixon, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sold now. Listen, I was against it. I didn't like Mixon. I'm wrong. The guy's got super talent. I know that. But I think he could do a good job. I think he might be inconsistent at times. He might have bad games here and there. But overall, he should be a rock-solid RB2, possibly an RB1, like you said. Top 12. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with the, the statement that you made about game flow, right? Because we saw two different game flows within one game right? with the Cincinnati Bengals. They were, they were trailing for a lot of this game, and then they got up in this game. Right. And regardless of what was happening, Joe Mixon was the guy on the field. Yeah. Which I think is the biggest takeaway from this game. You know, a reason why I shied away from Joe Mixon during draft season is because I looked into the past Gio Bernard usage. The guy has consistently played 35-plus percent of the snaps while Marvin Lewis, while he's been there with Marvin Lewis. Mm-hmm. So I figured, once again, I'm like, look, Gio Bernard is not going away. In this game, Gio Bernard was nowhere to be found. Yeah. And Joe Mixon looked like a slender version of himself. He shed down weight in the offseason. We knew about that. He looked much more spry in the preseason. He showed a lot of that here. He had the explosiveness. And then also his usage in the passing game. I mean, this guy was a phenomenal, phenomenal receiver coming out of college. And then he showed that in the preseason as well. They're lining him out as a wide receiver, throwing him screen passes, letting him just work down the field. Great upside here. Great yeah, upside here. I think if you drafted Joe Mixon, I don't think this is an overreaction. I think there's a good chance that he can be an RB1. I agree. For the 2018 fantasy football season. So, talk more about the good, the bad. Maybe we'll get to the Buffalo Bills. Maybe Monday Night Football tonight. We'll do it after this. Fantasy Best Friends Forever on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back to the Fantasy Best Friends Forever. Frank Sample alongside the analyst Chris Ventra and the Fantasy Taz Jim Day. Here to let you know BetDSI is celebrating 20 years as the industry's biggest and safest betting site. They have great customer service and fast, easy payment of winnings. You can play virtually every sport at BetDSI with hundreds of wagering options, including live in-game wagering on all major sporting events where you can make your play at any time during the game. Use promo code FNTSY. Bet DSI is offering up to one a one thousand dollar bonus on your first deposit. So use promo code FNTSY and try betdsi.com. That's betdsi.com. Promo code FNTSY. Head on over and start winning today. Speaking of winning, yeah. Browns almost won. They tied the game. They didn't lose. But if you had the Browns plus four, like I did, you hit. It pretty well. I liked I liked that. You like that venture? I was gonna do a teaser: Browns, yeah. Ravens, Saints. But the Saints would have would have hurt me. <laughs> that would have crushed. That would have right crushed there. me. So that that would have crushed you right there. All right, so let's jump back in. We were talking about Joe Mixon and his usage with the Cincinnati Bengals, and the fact that Gio Bernard was not really anywhere to be seen on the field. I want to go to another running back. Really, the antithesis of what Joe Mixon represents. Joe Mixon, a young, fun, exciting running back. Adrian Peterson, old. <laughs> Boring. Wasn't really fun in the preseason. 
drafted in the ninth, tenth round. Joe Mixon going in the second, third round. What did Adrian Peterson do in week one? Just 28 touches. Jim, nearly 30 touches for the ageless Adrian Peterson. 26 rushing attempts, two catches in this game, 96 rushing yards. That's 3.7 yards per carry, but two receptions for 70 yards. Not the guy is still incredibly explosive. It's insane. He looked like Adrian Peterson from five years ago. <laughs> I thought, I was like, he's refreshed. Did this guy use a time machine and come back to play the Arizona Cardinals in week one? Jim, even if it's 3.7 yards per carry, if he's below four yards per carry, I don't care. The guy is getting nearly 30 touches per game. I'm here to tell you that Adrian Peterson is a top 24 running back this year. He is a legitimate RB2. Am I crazy? Not if he continues to get that kind of usage. Let's face it. Like you said, even at 3.7 yards per carry, who cares? Touching the ball 30 times. Look, you know, we saw him, his decline last year in, in the games where he did absolutely nothing. But it was obvious he came in to prove a point yesterday, and he proved his point. He proved that he's still viable, and he could put up yardage. I mean, uh, let's face it, that, he scored his 100th TD ever in that game. Uh, he passed Marshall Falk on the all-time rushing list. So he had some things to prove, and he did. I, I don't know if we see this every week, but if he's going to touch the ball 25-plus times every week, he's got to be in your starting lineup because eventually he's going to break something. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, for me, obviously he had those motivations, the 100 touchdown, the rushing yards. But I also see he's not going to – most of the time he's not going to get two, 70 yards worth of receiving yards. He'll probably have one or two catches – Maybe. Oh yeah, no, no. That's the catches are not happening. Like, he never did that in his prime. He's not going to do it now. The guy yeah. to catch the ball. I mean, right. seventy recep- uh, seventy receiving yards on two receptions right. is absolutely fluky. Right. But the yardage wasn't great for yeah. the amount of carries, but yeah. the carries were good. The problem is they were blowing that team out. Right. If they're playing another team, once again, game flow again. If if they can't run the ball, it's going to be a Chris Thompson show. If they got to throw a lot, but they were able to take the huge lead and just pound it with Peterson. Why not? He's 33 years old, and he's not on a big contract. Who cares? You just keep yeah. pounding him. Yeah, you know? they'll run him into the ground. Run they don't the care ground. about that. That's a good thing about it. And you know, the thing about Chris Thompson is they use him a lot to get up in this game. I just don't know that they will ever use him for more than 12, 13 touches per game because they know what they have in Chris Thompson. He's exp- incredibly explosive in small doses, but he has a huge injury history. You can't use a guy like that as your workhorse back, even if you're trailing in games. Like, yeah, he'll be on the field. But I don't know that he's ever going to touch the ball more than 12, 13 times. And they proved that they can coexist in the same game. I mean, yeah. Chris Thompson said in the preseason that he's not 100%. Five rushes for 65 yards. <laughs> seven targets, six receptions so for an additional 63 yards. I mean, the guy was nearly 130 yards and a touchdown on 11 touches. Yeah, so efficient. So efficient. And, but he fits the mold of all these other guys. Deion Lewis. Um, not Gio Bernard right now because he seems to be a, way down on in the a pecking order. Basis, he's better than those guys. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. He fits that mold. To, he's never going to touch the ball fifteen plus times. It's right. not going to happen. Right. I, I mean, Deion Lewis might. Deion Lewis will. I mean, he did it yesterday. He had more touches than Derrick Henry. But these guys fit that mold where you have that like your pass catcher and you got your your up the middle runner and uh, there's a lot, a lot of teams like that in the league. Tariq Cohen and, and Jordan Howard. So. Uh, it works. It works. These pass-catching running backs, especially in a PPR league, they're more valuable sometimes than like an Alfred Morris who, you know, is just, he's the starter, but he's splitting carries with another running back and he doesn't catch passes. I'd rather have the guy that catch, catches passes. It's pretty much that simple. 
Jim, do you agree that Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson can coexist together and both both be fantasy viable? Or do you think that if they're trailing in a game, we're going to see more of Chris Thompson? I just don't think that they can lean on him based on his injury history. Well, they can lean on him until they can't, let's face it. Uh, and, you know, it was him saying he wasn't 100% healthy in the preseason, but it, it wasn't him showing that because he was on the field in preseason playing well. It was in his mind, in his head, that he thought he wasn't going to be fully healthy till November. He showed yesterday he's fully healthy. He's ready to go. And as long as he's healthy, they're going to run him. They're going to get him in the, in the game plan, even with Peterson touching the ball 30 times. Look, they don't want uh, – they don't want the – QB uh, Smith to have to throw the ball 40 times. They don't want that. That's not what they want to see. They want to be able to run the ball, especially in this NFC East. You want to be able to establish the run in every game. And if they could do that with both of these guys, I think we see that more happening more often than not. Peterson is going to be a guy that, you know, if he's touching the ball 20 times a game, he's going to get you enough yardage to give you some points. He doesn't catch a lot. We know that. But if he gets that occasional touchdown thrown in, he's going to be a guy scoring double-digit fantasy points. And Chris Thompson can easily do that, even with limited touches, by catching the ball. We know that you know, a pass target is about three times as valuable as a, a, a carry for a running back. So any running back that gets that many targets is always going to be viable in a PPR league. Right. AP is going to rely on TDs. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I'm buying it. If you're in a standard or in a half-point PPR, I think Adrian Peterson could be a top 24 running back based on, you know. For the rest of the season? Yeah. Could be. I mean, if he's getting this much work, if, he, if he's getting 15 to 20 touches a game, I mean, let alone he was near 30 touches in this game. I think, you know, again, they, they don't have a long-term commitment to him. They can yeah. run him into and, the And if they're going to play smash-mouth football like that, yeah. then it works. I think a lot of it comes down to whether or not the team is winning as well. Right. If the team is winning, I think it motivates – Peterson to be better. I think if they start losing, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if all of a sudden we see Peterson go back into the mode he had last year where he just didn't look like he really cared a lot. You know what? Shout out to Jordan Reed, too, who looked pretty healthy in this game. He didn't play a full complement of snaps, but I think that's by design. I think they should continue to do that. Use him in the right packages, the right passing plays, not down near the goal line in the red zone where Jordan Reed can have have his presence felt. We know Alex Smith loves to throw the ball to the tight end, so I think, again, if he, as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to be productive on a per-game basis. Mm-hmm. Jordan Reed and Chris Thompson, those are going to be a lot of the early progression reads for Alex Smith in this offense. Stock up on those two guys. Onto the Steelers, man. Le'Veon Bell who? Yeah, this was I found this hysterical. insane. This is crazy. I found it hysterical that Tomlin said, Bell, this is basically a statement, and he didn't say it by words. He said it on the field. He said, Bell, I just ran James Conner 34 times and gave him seven targets. So you're nothing special. That's basically what he said. He threw it right back in his face. How about this stat, This tweet from Warren Sharp at Sharp Football? Comparison of Le'Veon Bell and James Conner in their week one games versus Cleveland. Because last year, week one, they faced Cleveland. It was Le'Veon Bell. This year, they faced Cleveland. It's James Conner. He only Conner. had 10 carries, Bell. Bell, 20% success rate, 3.2 yards per carry. Connor, 45% success rate, 4.4 yards per carry. First down success rate, Le'Veon Bell, 25%, 4.8 yards per carry. James Connor, 55% success rate, 5.6 yards per carry. James Connor played 100% of the snaps. He played every single snap in this football game. That is absolutely insane. 31 rushes, 135 yards, two touchdowns, six targets, five receptions, 57 yards. 
Jim, if you drafted James Conner in a keeper league or in a dynasty league, oh my God. Le'Veon Bell is not yeah. here next year. He is not here next year. How excited well, we are you if not. you own him in a keeper or a dynasty league? We know he's not there next year anyway. I, there's yeah. no doubt in my mind he's not a stealer next year. And that's why they, they brought in Connor last year, to be that eventual guy. We saw what we like. Now, the stat you just referenced by Warren Sharp. See, this, this is why sometimes I hate stats. Because you can make stats say whatever you want. And you can compare this first game to last year's first game. But if you really dig deeper, we know Bell wasn't in camp, didn't get any preseason, had no work leading up to that first game. So comparing this first game to that first game, it's just a false stat. There's really nothing comparable to those two games. You know, compare him to a game where Bell had a good game, and then we got to talk. You know, don't compare it to a game where Bell comes in off the street with a couple of days' work and, you know, gets a minimal amount of touches. To me, that's just a bad use of stats. Yeah, well, but the most impressive thing isn't even that he had 5.6 yards of carry or that he caught five passes for 60 yards almost, which I heard people say he—I heard others say that he doesn't have good hands. I didn't see it. He looked very good in the passing game. Um and the most impressive thing is that he, t- he had 34 carries and five catches. That's the most impressive thing. He almost had 40. 31 carries, I thought. 31 carries, I, I think thought. it's 34. I have him at For 30. 135. Okay, I have him for 31. Okay, so whatever it is, it's 35-plus touches for a guy who last year probably saw one or two touches a game. I mean, that. right, if that. So that's the most impressive thing, I think, here. He could, she showed that, you know what, I could carry a workhorse load. And he proved it. And I'd be excited about James Conner. The Steelers system works. The O-line's mad good. I mean, you just run the ball all day up the middle of this guy. This guy is a fearsome running back. And the O-line loves him. You saw they all celebrated with him and stuff on the first touchdown. Yeah, I'm sure they, they would have much more. They would have much rather enjoyed celebrating a win rather than a tie against the Cleveland Browns. I know, right? Jim, I just want to address what you said about the stat. First of all, in week one last year, that's nobody's fault but Le'Veon Bell's himself because he didn't show up to training camp. So I get what you're saying. I know that it's completely different situations. But with that being said, the Cleveland Browns last year as a rushing defense allowed 3.4 yards per carry. That was second best in the NFL. So I think for James Conner to come in here and do what he did against that rushing defense, which was one of the best in the NFL last season, I think there is something to be said for that. Now, I get what you're saying about comparing. It's not the same necessarily, but it was Le'Veon Bell's fault that he wasn't prepared for week one last year. So I'll just throw that out there. I still think it's very impressive what James Conner did. Mm -hmm. No, no, you're taking... You're taking me wrong. I'm not saying anything about what Connor did. Connor had yeah, a, yeah. an amazing game, no doubt. I'm not taking anything away from Connor's game. He did exactly what the Steelers needed him to do go out and show Le'Veon Bell, we can do it without you. He did exactly that. And that's why he saw the ball so much. And that's why he was on the field so much, just to show Le'Veon Bell, we can do it without you. I get all that. James Connor had a fabulous game. It's not that, it's that, you know, when you try and compare stats like that, that's just. You know, to the uninformed out there, people seeing that saying, "Oh my God, Connor's better than Bell." Well, that's not that's not true. That's not <laughs> Look, I, 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 I think Connor yeah, I think we all agree game. on that. Yeah, <laughs> Connor had a great game, but to put out a stat like that to me is just a falsehood. You, you can't really put that out there and not expect it to be picked apart when you know the back backstory behind it and I'm not saying it wasn't Bell's fault I'm not a Bell fan in any way shape or form the guy's an idiot Um, he's shown that time and time again but 
the fact of the matter is to try and put those kind of stats out there, it's just bad reporting. You're putting bad information out there for people that are very gullible for bad information. Well, people like to see all the all the information they can. They like to, you know, see obscure stuff, deep stats. I understand that. But what it comes down to is this all ties into the overreaction stuff. It's week one. Um, we got to be careful because, like, obviously now everybody wants to jump on the AP bandwagon or the James Conner bandwagon. And then maybe... We're all forgetting about Chris Hogan, who we all loved before the season and had, what, one, two, one, two, one or two catches in this game uh, yesterday? He did yeah. nothing, basically? Yeah, you're, just, you're jumping, a, you're you jumping know what I'm saying? a little bit Hogan's going to be fine. you get to the bat yeah. oh, eventually. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> I mean, I don't mind talking about it right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and let's talk about it. Chris Hogan, one catch for 11 yards in the win. He was fourth on his team in targets. What worries me most about this, Jim, is the fact that he wasn't, needed for this team to win the game, if that makes sense. Like, they won 27-20 to 20 on the back of Gronk, on the back of Tom Brady throwing to James White, who I think we all kind of suspected could have a big game here. And then they also used Philip Dorsett more in this matchup. Mm-hmm. And just to make matters worse, Chris Hogan is going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars secondary next week, so I'm probably not going to have him in my lineup. I'd bench Which him, is yeah. crazy because this is a guy that was a fourth or fifth round pick. Well, let me be the contrarian here. Um, And it's only because of Bill Belichick. I'm going to go out there and think that, you know, Belichick used Hogan as a decoy in this one. We've seen him do that with other receivers, trying to get defenses. Look, we all expected Hogan to have a great game. I'm sure the defense expected Hogan to have a great game because he was their number one wide receiver. And they planned for that. They you know, always made sure he had doubles on him uh, over under coverage a lot of times. And Belichick knew that going in in would be the case and he flipped the script and he went to the other guys I mean you don't have to worry about that with Gronk because Gronk's too good you're going to throw the ball up let him go get it he's going to do what he does but with Hogan you know if he's receiving double coverage a lot then you're not going to see them go to him you're going to see Brady use his other options which is what we saw we go to fast forward to next week with Jacksonville flip the script again you know, they're really not going to worry about double covering Hogan after one reception in week one. They're definitely going to go after Gronk. They may pay a little bit more attention to Philip Dorsett. And all of a sudden, Hogan is the, the guy out that's all of a sudden catching the balls. This is how Belichick's mind thinks. He's always one step ahead. He's playing chess when the rest of the coaches are playing checkers. Yep, yep. Uh, but you would think Ramsey is going to shadow Hogan a good portion of the game. Potentially, Ramsey or they could, they could put Ramsey or on Well, he Gronk takes too. one guy. He could, yeah, he could go to Gronk, too. That's what I'm saying. He might go back and forth. And they'll find ways to move these guys around, just like the Giants did with Beckham yesterday, trying to get him right. away from Ramsey. Although he roasted Ramsey many times. Ramsey with the two pass interference penalties just because he had, you know, uh, OBJ had him on his heels quite a few times with those double moves. So, you know, he can be beat. He just ha- you just have to get somebody out there willing to run a strong route and be committed to it like OBJ was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Odell Beckham again, one of those five players who had 15-plus targets in week one. Again, something that didn't happen in a single game last year in the regular season. It's crazy. In a single week. There was never a group of five receivers that had 15-plus targets, and here we have that in week one already. I think that just goes to show you how wild it really was out of a week, and, you know, Odell Beckham was still pretty successful against Jalen Ramsey in that matchup, and the fact that they were able to move him around a little bit. He had the 11 receptions for 111 yards. Look, we're about 40 minutes into the show. We haven't even mentioned Ryan Fitzmagic yet. Oh, my God. The Tampa Bay Bucks uh, knocking off the New Orleans Saints. Uh, so... 
fantasy fireworks in that game. I mean, all around, uh, Fitzmagic, four touchdowns. He added a rushing touchdown. It's five total touchdowns. Zero picks. Everybody ate in that game. In the Tampa Bay Bucks passing attack. Mike Evans ate. Chris Godwin scored a touchdown. He didn't have a huge game, Break but he still scored eat. a touchdown. Brady had zero. Tight ends, you're right. The yeah. tight ends didn't do their thing. But Deshaun Jackson, two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the other side, Michael Thomas, historic game. Alvin Kamara, awesome. efficiency, still there. <laughs> it's 2018 and the efficiency is still there. Yep. But we'll talk a little bit about this Tampa Bay Bucks saints game when we come back. We'll get to some more of the bad things that happened in week one as well. Frank Stanfield, Fantasy Taz, Jim Day, Chris Ventura, Fantasy BFFs on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When you're hiring, you don't want to waste time sorting through dozens of irrelevant resumes. You want an efficient way to get to a short list of qualified candidates. That's why you need Indeed.com. Post a job in minutes. Set up screener questions based on your job requirements. Then zero in on qualified candidates using an intuitive online dashboard. Discover why 3 million businesses use Indeed for hiring. Post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. Search for greatness. Search Indeed. Back to the fantasy best friends forever. Frank Stanfield alongside fantasy Taz, Jim Day. Shout out to Chris Venter for joining fantasy best friends forever. The early portion of the show. Catch him up next with fantasy football frenzy with fantasy executive Corey Parson and Jim Day, as mentioned. When we talk about the millions of dollars that DailyRoto.com subscribers win playing fantasy sports in these commercials, we aren't being facetious and we are not exaggerating. Congratulations to Daily Roto subscriber Skip Bitter on turning a $9 entry into $1 million Sunday using the DailyRoto.com NFL DFS Optimizer. If you guys were watching the Fantasy BFS the afternoon that we had Mike Leone on of DailyRoto.com, he came on, he joined us, he kind of broke down how to use the optimizer. This is real. One of the Daily Roto subscribers actually won the million dollar contest for on, over on FanDuel. Head on over to DailyRoto.com, click on Go Premium, find out how you can party with our successful community of daily fantasy players, and if it's sports wagering you're into, click on the sports betting tab or go to DailyRoto.com betting, where you'll be able to use the same tools and algorithms for money line picks, picks against the spread, game totals, and, you, and the use of a player props tool that can now be turned loose to forecast spectacular game performances that you can now capitalize on without having to worry about salary caps. That's dailyroto.com, and click on Go Premium, the industry website where millionaires are made, literally, in week one. This is the lineup that Skip Bitter threw out there. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Michael Thomas, Kenny Stills, Deshaun Jackson. That's the one right there. That's the 1% on Deshaun Jackson. Rob Gronkowski, David Johnson, and the Miami Dolphins defense. If you went to the optimizer and you ran the settings, pair a QB with a wide receiver from his team plus a wide receiver from the opposing team in your lineup, it would have threw out one of these lineups, which is awesome and at the same time incredibly frustrating because that could have been one of us, Jim. (laughs) It could have been. Uh, You know, look, uh, David Johnson, though, was definitely a bit of a surprise in in the bad way. Uh, He did not put up the monster numbers we expected him to do against that defense. Um, you know, that was definitely a surprise. And of course, for me personally, the one who hurt me the, the most was, of course, uh, the said aforementioned uh, wide receiver from New England who did absolutely nothing yesterday. 
But, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. That's how it works. You, you got to hit the right combination every week. And, you know, that optimizer is, is a good way of trying to put together a team based on, you know, a certain stack that you want to use or certain method you want to use. And I, I definitely implore people to try and use it more often. Yeah, and while we're talking about DFS and FanDuel, we had the, uh, the BFF contest that we spoke about last week. I was tweeting out about it. Uh, shout out to Ron Cafferty, the mailman who's in first place right now of the BFF uh, $5 entry. We had uh, 18 people. 20 people joined the community, but not all 20 people entered their lineup, which was a very weird thing, and I don't know why. Uh, but I actually had Alex Collins in that lineup, who was the guy who destroyed Oof. me yesterday. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Another guy who just looked like he, he was in a perfect place to put up big numbers, uh, fumbles the ball, they bench him for a while, uh, and then when the game got out of hand, they – Benched him again, and you know that just really just took him out of the game. Yeah, let's talk about this here because I have him under the bad category from week one. We spoke a lot about the good. Um, we're going to get to that Bucks and Saints game, but one of the bad things that happened here was Alex Collins. Now, Jim, I, I don't know if you pay attention much to who I like this season, but Alex Collins was certainly one of them. I was an Alex Collins truther coming into the year. I was very excited about him. I thought the metrics showed last year that he was a very valuable running back. Uh, proved that he could be a workhorse really in the second half of the season. Now you tell me, am I painting this picture last half full because I'm an Alex Collins optimist or do you have a different take on this situation? Because the way I look at it is he scored the first touchdown. So early on in the game, I think he was their main running back. Uh, after he fumbled, you're right. They benched him for a few series. We did see him come out in the second half. He had a few carries in that second half. But in my opinion, once this game got out of hand, I mean, we even saw Lamar Jackson in this game. It seemed like they really just benched all of their starters. I mean, even Willie Sneed scored a touchdown. All, all three running backs here scored a touchdown from Buck Allen to Kenneth Dixon. So in my opinion, you should be worried a little bit that he fumbled and he got benched. But I also think it was the fact that they were just blowing this team out. I'm very interested to see on Thursday night how the running back usage um, – plays out between with all these Ravens running backs. No, I'm still on with Collins. Look, you know, Buck Allen is going to be Buck Allen. He's going to be that third down back, come in, catch a few passes, do what he does. But, you know, Collins is going to be the main guy. I'm not really worried about Dixon coming in. Like you said, in the, in the second half, the game was well out of hand. They didn't really need Collins to go in and beat Collins. When they need Collins to beat Collins in a tight game, then we're going to see him more often. I trust him more than I do Dixon. Uh, and we'll see him you know, get 20 carries in a game and start to put up the kind of numbers we expected. Yesterday just wasn't that day, and the, I think that was more game flow than anything else. Oh, Jim Day, I could kiss you. That's music to my ears. <laughs> That's what I love to hear as an Alex Collins owner in multiple leagues. Uh, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm going to be very zoned in on this Thursday night game to make sure that Alex Collins is the guy in what should be a closer matchup against the Bengals. Uh, you know, those AFC North matchups, are usually hard-hitting, uh, low-scoring, close games. So I think uh, we'll find out in that game if Alex Collins is the workhorse. This Saints versus Bucks game, Jim, absolutely wild. I mean, <laughs> you had the Saints as your uh, survivor pick. I'm sorry, but you're gone. Uh, the Bucks come into New Orleans and blow, blow the doors off of the New Orleans Saints, honestly. I mean, Fitz Magic, 400 yards, five total touchdowns. Mentioned everybody in this past game was involved, except the tight ends, which was... Actually, kind of a letdown in this matchup. I'll throw this out there. Can Ryan Fitzpatrick steal this job from Jameis Winston and be a top 12 quarterback? 
that's the overreaction aspect of this. But is it? Because he finished as a top 12 quarterback back in 2015 when he played with the Jets. He threw for 31 touchdowns, and he rushed for two more. So we know that when he's surrounded by good weapons, that year he had Brandon Marshall, he had Eric Decker, he had a great offense. He can produce. He can produce for fantasy. It might not be the prettiest thing in real life for NFL purposes, but Ryan Fitzpatrick can produce. So I'll, I'll throw two questions out to you. Can Fitzpatrick be a top 12 quarterback, and can he steal Jameis Winston's starting job? He absolutely could steal Jameis Winston's starting job. Look, even the general manager said it, you know, in preseason. Look, there's no guarantee that Winston's going to come back in week four and still have a job. There's no guarantee. They're tired of his antics. They're tired of his off-the-field off crap. And, you know, they wouldn't be afraid to move on, especially after this kind of game that Fitz had. We know Fitz is, is a guy that loves to throw the ball. He's going to go out there. He's going to pound the ball downfield all game and, you know, with the receivers they have, especially Deshaun Jackson. I mean, look, Deshaun Jackson almost had another big, long third touchdown pass yesterday. Could have been amazing, uh, amazing day. And it wasn't already amazing day. He looked as fast as he's ever looked. And if that's still the case, Fitz is going to have no problem trying to get the ball down the field to him. He loves to chuck the ball. Now, the one problem with Fitz is if you look at his career, he loves to get off to big starts early in the season. And then at some point, there's a game where the bottom just falls completely out. But if he gets these next few weeks and has games even, you know, he's not going to have the game he had yesterday. I just don't see that every week. But if he has games that where he's putting them in contention to win every week and he's putting up points, then there's a very good chance that when Jameis Winston comes back, he's sitting on the bench. He could easily get Wally pipped here. Yeah, and those games that where the bottom really falls out for Ryan Fitzpatrick, it really comes in like clutch matchups when you need Ryan Fitzpatrick most because I can tell you as a Jets fan, they had a chance to make it to the playoffs in Week 17 against the Buffalo Bills back in 2015. Oh, God, what did Ryan yes. Fitzpatrick do? He goes out there with the snow flurries falling down, 181 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. When you need Ryan Fitzpatrick most in a real-life clutch situation, he will crumble every single time. Time, and they were bad interceptions too. I, I remember that was a bad Bills team. That was not a good yeah. Bills team. I, I remember two of them explicitly, and yeah, they were just throws he shouldn't have made and tried to force something that shouldn't happen. And he does have a tendency to do that. But it, it was nice watching him in, in all his glory yesterday. He was having fun. He was enjoying himself. And as long as he's doing that, he's not going to be afraid to step on that field and wing the ball all over the place. And you know the one effect of that is that he's never been a big usage of the tight end guy. Uh, they have two pretty good tight end receivers on this team that may not see much with Fitzpatrick on the field. He's going to look for those wide receivers pretty much all the time. On the Saints side of things, I want to paint this. I mean, obviously for fantasy purposes, it was, it was amazing. It was phenomenal. I mean, Michael Thomas put up a 40 burger in PPR leagues. We're talking about 16, 18, how many receptions did he even have? 16 or 18? I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. I believe it was 16 receptions for 180 yards. He had the touchdown as well. So for PPR, he was absolutely amazing. Alvin Kamara, I mean, all offseason, I'm not going to speak for you, Jim, but what I said about Alvin Kamara is there's no way he can repeat the type of efficiency he had in terms of yards per attempt, yards per target, uh, scoring touchdowns at the rate that he did. All he did yesterday, 17 touches to get 46.1 PPR points, Jim. He's going to be a top three running back. 
I mean, I think the way that this works here is if the Saints defense is really this bad once again, if we go back to the Saints defense being as bad as it was in years past, Drew Brees is a top three quarterback once again, Michael Thomas is a top three wide receiver, and Alvin Kamara is a top three running back. If this defense is as bad as it was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, we thought that the Saints defense had improved. They did last year, but I don't know what the hell happened in week one this week against the Bucs, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, they definitely were not ready for this game in any way, shape, or form. I'm talking about the defense anyway for New Orleans. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I have no idea. I had no idea that they would come out and play this bad a game uh, in week one. But I'm also happy because, like you said, it's great for fantasy owners. I'd love to see Drew Brees and these guys you know, continue to play like this, have to throw the ball a ton, put up fantasy points. That's really good for fantasy owners. So you want to see that. The thing that I really loved with this was not only that Thomas had 16 catches, I loved that he had 16 catches on 17 targets. That To me, that, that's just that just shows you, once again, how good Drew Brees is. Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable. The same page that these guys are on, I agree with you. That was something that stood out to me. That type of... Just efficiency again. I mean, the word, we use it a lot for Alvin Kamara. We use it for running backs, right? But to haul in 16 of 17 targets, you know, that's what holds other guys back on other teams, right? Like guys like Mike Evans, who consistently have low catch rates because they have guys like Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing them balls all over the field that are awry. Like, yeah, he's going to get peppered with targets, but he's only going to catch about 55% of them. So for Michael Thomas to come in here and get 17 targets and haul in 16 of those, Absolutely phenomenal. Um, if you're a Saints fan, obviously the game sucked, but for fantasy purposes, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas, if this defense is terrible, I'm telling you, all three of those guys could be top three at their position this year. For right now, we need to sign off the video portion online on YouTube. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, um, if you're watching us on Periscope, we're going to sign off. We're going to continue on the radio portion here. I'm just going to talk about the Chiefs real quick, and then I'll get Jim Day's predictions for Monday Night Football. My J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Sam Darnold era begins against the Detroit Lions. So, I wanted to talk about Tyreek Hill. We're talking about efficiency, right? Wow, you can't talk about efficiency without Tyreek Hill. He had eight targets, which led the team seven receptions, 169 yards, two touchdowns, oh, and a 91-yard punt return touchdown he finished wide receiver four last year, Jim, on 105 targets. If he sees seven targets per game, that's 112 over a 16-game pace. Is he the most electrifying player you've ever watched, Jim? Because, look, admittedly, you've seen a lot more football than I have. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to say the most electrifying ever, but definitely a, a guy that you know, doesn't need a ton of targets to make them pay. And now he's got a quarterback that loves to play the same type of game. Just run down the field. I'll get you the ball. And, you know, again, Sammy Watkins was not really involved in this. Uh, I, I I couldn't say that enough in preseason that I wasn't a Watkins guy. I don't think he's, you know, I think he's talented. He just never seems to put it together with whatever team he's on. But Hill and Mahomes had a, had a rapport right from the get-go in preseason. Mahomes loves to chuck it down the field. And, you know, we also saw that Kareem Hunt and Travis Kelsey were not involved in this passing game at all. That's got to be a little scary for you as owners of them because if Mahomes isn't looking to check down at all to either one of these guys, you've taken two major offensive players right off the board. Yeah, Kareem Hunt especially. I Look, I have Kareem Hunt. I have multiple shares this year. 
Um, this is the first game in his career that he's played where he didn't have a reception. He only had one target in this game. So, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Patrick Mahomes not checking down in these games. I will say the one positive, because, you know, as an owner of these players, right, like when I look up Alex Collins and I look up Kareem Hunt, I try to, I try to find the positive, something good that I could take away from this, because you know, I try to make myself feel better for drafting these players who have bad week ones. His shoes matched. His shoes matched. There you go. Kareem Hunt, his, usage, positive. his usage in week one. 71% of the snaps, the running back snaps here, uh, 16 of 20 of the rushing attempts for the running backs, um, and he had one of two targets. So they just really didn't use the running backs all that much. I will say that the jet sweeps that they used Tyreek Hill and DeAnthony Thomas on down on the goal line was very, very, very frustrating to watch. Jim, I mentioned we'll give predictions for tonight. The first game, the Jets in Detroit. Plus seven right now for the Jets, who do you have in this game? And do you think they can cover the spread? Because it seems kind of big for the Detroit Lions. I think they do cover the spread. I think the Jets are going to be a little better than people give them credit for. I think Darnold is going to be better than people think. You know, he's got some good weapons there. Uh, Robbie Anderson showed last year that he could be a, a number one receiver in this league. Uh, Pryor's back. They got a Nunoa back. Um, it, the running game's going to be a little shallow. I'm not sure what we get out of Crowell. Uh, but I do like that Powell will be involved, I think, in this one heavily as a receiver. So, you know, I think the Jets keep this a game. I think their defense is enough to keep this in a game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's under the 45 uh, points that Vegas has them at right at this point over under. So I'm going to take the under here. I think the Jets keep it tight, but I do think they lose. I'm thinking somewhere along the line of 2017. I think that's a good call. Uh, I'm with you as a Jet fan. I don't know that they go in and win this game, but I think they can keep it close. Uh, I like the Jets to... I like this to be a field goal game. I can see a 24-21, uh, 2017, like you said. I'm with you. Uh, I don't love the under, but if I had to choose one, I would take the under as well. Real quick, Jim, we only have a minute left. The Rams, minus four and a half on the road tonight against John Gruden and the boys. The Oakland Raiders actually got this game when the Rams were minus four, so I actually think they, they put a beating down on the Raiders tonight. I'm with you. I do think I have the Rams going to the Super Bowl, so I definitely think Ooh, they. Me too. Well, I also I also had the Chargers going to the Super Bowl. That me didn't too. Work out so well. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, gosh. So yeah, I like the Rams. I think the Rams come out and beat up Oakland. I'm not sure Oakland's ready for this. I, I'm not saying it's going to be a you know big time beat down, but I, I'm looking for something like maybe 27 17. For Fantasy Taz, Jim Day, Chris Venture, the analyst, I am Frank Stanfield. Coming up next, you'll hear the Fantasy Football Frenzy with Corey Parson, where he tries to tell you where the Dallas Cowboys are actually not that bad.